You're listening to the Victory Church Podcast. Here at Victory, we are called to equip a caring, committed community of worshipers to reach their world for Jesus. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Glory! I know that sounds a little bit crazy, doesn't it? Especially with a southern accent. But the Apostle Paul writes often about the glory of God. And for Paul, glory was not something flaky. Nor was glory just theological, theoretical, or internally spiritual. It is all those things. But for Paul, God's glory was a tangible experience. It was real and it shaped his life. Let's read about that experience in Acts chapter 22. Paul is uh, undergoing a little bit of a trial here. So he defends himself by saying, Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this, this way, that is Christianity, to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to have them punished. About noon, here's the experience. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell, fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance and literally, the word there in the Greek is, the glory of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on his name. For Paul, this very real, very visual experience of the glory of God changed his life. The glory of God is absolutely essential to God's nature. The nature of God is to be perfect, and God's perfection in all of his attributes is his glory. Tony Evans says God's glory is the sum 
total of his attributes in all their perfection. God's glory is intrinsic to his nature. To know God is to know his glory. And we can't know God apart from his glory. The uh, International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, kind of a scholarly resource, says about God's glory, in the ultimate sense, no subject is more important than this. Nothing. God's glory is at the center of an experience with God that'll change our lives. Now, all this, I know, it can sound just totally irrelevant. When I got my hair cut this week, I was the only customer in the shop, and there were two barbers there, including the one cutting my hair. And my barber asked what I was preaching on, and I said, the glory of God. Uh, the little bit of silence that immediately followed made me realize that glory of God didn't mean too much to these barbers. And then I added something like, you know, God is perfect and he's wonderful in all of his ways and that's his glory. And that began a little bit more of a discussion and that got us into the fact that there must be a God to have created this world the way it is. In fact, the barber was leading that discussion and the two bar barbers together were pretty impassioned about this topic that, you know, you can tell just from looking at nature that there really is a God. And they just went on for at least five minutes without my having to say anything. They were excited about it. And it was so good that in spite of the occasional language by one of the barbers in particular, I jokingly said they should join me in preaching this message. And uh, hopefully they're watching this because you inspired me to really see even better the connection of God's glory with what he shows us in the very nature of his creation. Psalm 19 verse 1 says, The heavens are telling of the glory of God. And their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. The heavens declare God's glory. They're speaking right now. God's creation is the theater of his glory. It, it all exists to show God's glory. And those of us who know Jesus and have experienced God's presence, we should know that just that presence is God's glory. And we should be glory conscious and you know, that's more than just saying there's a God. It's saying there's a God who is perfect in all of his ways and who wants to know us. I want to encourage you during this sermon series to get more hungry for the glory of God, more desirous to really glimpse his glory, to see the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus like you have never seen his glory before. Look at the example of Moses. Moses had tremendous experiences with the presence of God. Fire and lightning and smoke and all those things. But even after all that, Moses says to God, show me your glory. And God's reply to Moses was, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And you can read that in Exodus 33, verse 19. God describes his glory as all my goodness goodness. We want God's goodness. We were made for God's goodness. We were made for God's glory. And Moses asked for a visible manifestation of the glory of God, the same kind of manifestation that maybe changed Paul's life. And you know what God did? God gave it to him. He had to do so in a 
kind of measured way because he said, you can't see my face and live. But I believe that God, just as he showed his glory to Moses, will do that for you. Glory is manifest in all of creation. It's there. The knowledge of it ought to be universal, but it's not. And until then, until all of creation knows and acknowledges the glory of God, there are going to be different degrees of manifestation of God's glory, different degrees of awareness of God's glory. And we see that in the Bible. In the Bible, there are special times when there's this great manifestation of the glory of God, such as at the giving of the law, speaking of Moses, or at the dedication of the tabernacle, or later on at the dedication of the temple with Solomon. And then in the time of Christ, Jesus picked three to go with him up on the mountain of transfiguration and to see the glory where he just shone like the sun. And I believe that God wants to do this for you. And God wants us to experience his glory. And there are going to be different levels of manifestation. But I think we should expect to be more glory conscious. Just God, help me to see your glory where it is there. We should be sensitive to the glory of God that's all around us. And while we see the glory all around us, the glory in creation, there's still this desire for more. We want to be like Moses. And I want to encourage you that as with Moses, Moses, show me your glory. Let that be your heart's cry. Why not go for it the way Moses did? I mean, why not? If it's so life-changing, if it's so central to the nature of God, why not? Well, I'll tell you one reason that we don't is I think sometimes we just don't believe God's going to show himself to us in such a powerful way. That's for super spiritual people. And uh, also, you know, we know that every manifestation of the presence and glory of God isn't going to be spectacular. And we also know that we need to learn to see God's glory in the mundane, in the everyday, in the creation we see around us. So that, sometimes that tempers our expectation and we don't expect a great manifestation. But there's a, another reason I think that we don't expect to see the glory of God. Because frankly, we just don't want to be weird. And you know, expecting a manifestation of God's glory, cloud and fire and smoke, it, it just seems weird. It seems far out. We don't know what to do. What would we do with it if it happened? Well, we would be in good company if we didn't know what to do with it. Peter, when he was with Jesus on the mountain of transfiguration, wanted to build tabernacles on that mountain. And uh, the Bible says that, hey, when Peter said that, he had no clue what he was talking about. He, he, he did not know what he was saying, and, and we probably wouldn't know what to do with it either. So, you know, we, we just don't want to be weird. But let me say this. If you don't want to be weird, know this. And this is really key to not getting weird with this, to know why God shows us his glory. And God does not show his glory just to give us bragging rights. Now, I believe that, you know, I can share a story of my experience with the glory of God, and I have a couple of good stories, and I could share that in a couple of different ways. One, I could share it with you in a way to encourage you to expect an experience of God's glory for yourself, and I think that's a legitimate way of sharing my story of seeing God's glory. Or I can share my story in a way to uh, hopefully impress you with my very unique access to God, right? Hmm. 
If I do that, I think I'm missing the mark. See, I hope that I'm simply encouraging you. Otherwise, when we try to use our spiritual experiences to impress people, whether we're talking about the glory or angels or anything else, folks, it just gets weird. Spirituality to impress somebody else is going to get weird. And I'm just not into weirdness. I I don't want spiritual weirdness just for the sake of weirdness. Uh, A while back in a sermon, I mentioned my skepticism of some other people's spiritual experience. Uh, And I said in the message that if you tell me that you saw angels, and if you tell me that all the time, unless I know you and really trust in your spiritual experience, I'm probably going to think you're weird. Just to be honest, I'm skeptical. And that Sunday when I said that after church, a first-time guest came up to me and told me that she was offended because of my remarks. And she said, during the service, my daughter saw an angel standing next to you. Wow. I looked at her daughter there, probably about 20 years old, and said, you saw an angel? And the young lady, you know, just looked at me and smiled and nodded, didn't say anything else. I apologize, but I have to admit, I was thinking this. First, lady, your daughter saw an angel standing next to me, the angels attending to me, the angels helping me. This is my angel assigned to me. Maybe the first thing you do after you hear me preach is not to come tell me how you're offended at me. Just a thought. The second thing I thought was this. If you really saw an angel, it really wouldn't matter to you whether I believe it or not whether I think you're weird or not. If you saw an angel, if you see the glory of God, if you see the manifestation of God's supernatural power and presence, it won't matter if other people think you're weird or if I think you're weird. When we have an experience of the glory of God, it just has value in itself apart from anybody else's approval. So if people think it's weird, fine. But weirdness for the sake of weirdness, no, we're not going for that. We want what is genuine. We want genuine experience of God, but we want as much of the genuine revelation of the glory of God as we could possibly experience. We want it. We, we want all that God has in store for us, and we're not going to shut ourselves off. We're going to take a posture here at Victory Church of an eager desire for the things of God, whether gifts of the Spirit of the glory of God. And We want these things because, for one, the whole goal of history is the glory of God. So it's the nature of God, but it's also the goal of history. God describes his glory as his goodness, right? We saw that in Exodus. That's why he wants us to behold his glory. He wants us to see his goodness. And that's why the end goal of all of history of the history of all of creation is that the knowledge of the glory of God cover the earth. That's Habakkuk 2.14, where God says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. And I would say the waters cover the seas pretty completely. That's the end goal. It's not there yet, but all of creation is headed there. And God wants us to get our lives in line with that end goal. In other words, you can get on the glory train right now. We're moving there. And you don't have to wait until the end of all of history to begin to experience the glory of God. I like that old hymn, Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Just by the the nature of the 
assurance that we have of our salvation. See, glory is the nature of God. Glory is also the goal of all history. And the third point that I want to make about the glory of God is that it's important to us, and one indication of its importance is the fear of the enemy. Yeah, it's the nature of God. It is the goal of history, and God's glory is the fear of the enemy, especially your experience of the glory of God. The devil hates the prospect of your seeing the glory of God. And we're, we're expecting to capture a glimpse of God's glory. Why? Because it's going to change our lives. And a glimpse of God's glory is going to change our lives for the better. And that's why the devil fights so hard to keep you from seeing the glory of God. Yeah. The devil wants to blind you to God's glory. He wants to blind people who don't yet know Jesus because once your heart is captured by the glorious presence of God, nothing else in life, nothing else in creation will have quite the same appeal as the glory of God. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 and verse 6, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays what? The glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us, what's he wanting to give us through this? To give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. We want the knowledge of God's glory in Jesus Christ. That's not something we wait until the end of history for. That is our present experience of Christ. And the devil wants to blind eyes to that. Now, the devil's not stupid. A lot of times we hear people make reference to the devil being stupid. He's crafty. He's cunning. He's not stupid. And he, he, there's a reason why the God of this age, the devil, blinds the eyes and the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Look at what a vision of the glory of God did to Paul. Paul was one of Satan's most effective agents. Paul, Saul at the time, was persecuting the church to the point of death. And yet the glimpse of God's glory radically changed Paul's life to where he goes from being an agent of the devil to being one of the devil's biggest threats. And all it took was a glimpse of the glory of God. Man, the glory of God is something the devil doesn't want you to experience. And I think if the devil doesn't want you, if he's so intent on keeping you from seeing it, you ought to be all the more intent on seeing the glory of God more and more and more in your life. So the glory of God is God's nature. It's the goal of humanity. It's the fear of the, or it's the goal of history. It's the fear of the enemy. And it is the life of humanity. What's our condition apart from Christ? Yeah, we know. Apart from Christ, we're dead in sin. The Bible tells us that. And yet, it's not just that we're dead in sin. What, what, what is the nature of being dead in sin? What's the problem in that? The problem is not just that we're dead in sin. The problem and probably the reason that we're dead in sin apart from Christ is that we are separated from the glory of God. Why do I say that? 
Romans 3.23 is very explicit. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What's the problem that's produced by our sin? We fall short of the glory of God. See, you were made for the glory. And when you are separated from that glory by sin, the result is death. But the great thing is that Christ, we see the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. We saw that in the Corinthian passage. And Christ restores to us the glory that we're intended to experience. And because of that, we become transformed by the glory of God. It's not just something that we see, it changes. It's not just an experience that now, because we've had this experience, I'm going to be different. No, it's something that works in us in such a way that the Christian life is summarized by Paul as a life that progresses from one level of glory to another. Your progression, your growth as a Christian is about going from one level of glory to another. Yeah. Right here on this earth. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unfailed vases contemplate the Lord's glory, or reflect the Lord's glory, you could say, legitimate translation there, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Some translations, instead of ever-increasing glory, say from glory to glory, which is more literally parallel to the Greek. And I like that translation because I don't think Paul is trying to say that the Christian life is one of being on a straight path up to glory after glory after glory with no kind of uh, setbacks in between. No, we go from glory to glory. And sometimes in between those experiences of glory, man, it can be a little bit challenging. It can be a little bit dry. That happens. But the goal, the direction, the trajectory of our lives is to go from glory to glory to glory. And... I think it's good to recognize that I'm not talking about being on this super high all the time and just trying to, you know, force ourselves to, to, you know, convince ourselves or other people that we're living in the glory. My experience is that if we always live only for the highs, we're going to be disappointed and disillusioned. But here's something else. We don't want to get to the point where we just settle. We can't settle for a limited experience. We can't settle for our past experience. You can't settle that we went from glory to glory and now we're done. No, we still go from glory to glory to glory. And as for the freedom that Paul mentions in verse 17, just a little tidbit here, that freedom is not what so often we talk about in Pentecostal charismatic circles about freedom to dance or run or all those kinds of things that we sing about. It's, you know what the real freedom is? The freedom is the ability to comp contemplate the Lord's glory without dying. <laughs> in other words, it's freedom to enter into the presence of God, freedom to enter into the glory of God and let it change us from glory to glory. So glory is the nature of God. It's the goal of history. It's the fear of the enemy. It's the life of humanity. And it's also the beauty of the church. I love Isaiah 60, which I think speaks to the church, not only to Israel back in that day, but to the church. Arise, shine, for your light has come, 
and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Mm. When the glory of the Lord rises upon you, guess what? You can rise up out of darkness. That's what God has called the church to do. We are the light of the world. And what do we as a church do with the glory of God? When we catch it, what do we do? We unite around the glory of God as a powerful witness. John 17, verses 22 through 24. Tell us this. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer. He says, I have given them, speaking of future generations who were going to believe in God, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. That's God's desire that we be one. Verse 23, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. What does our unity do? Jesus says, then the world will know that you sent me. Jesus tells the Father, when the church is unified, the world will know that you sent me. The world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. What a testimony that our unity brings. And then he says, verse 24, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you love me because the, before the creation of the world. Jesus wants us to see his glory. Why? Because out of that flows the, the life of the church. Out of that flows the, the witness of the church. That's the beauty that the people around us get to see. And I pray that during this message series that you really Take the opportunity to press into the presence of God and for a greater revelation, manifestation of his glory. Because when we do that, it unites the church and gives us the best witness that we could possibly give this world. And in this divided and fractured world, I believe that we at Victory Church and other churches that we're working alongside of to glorify God in the greater Philadelphia area will be entering into the greatest experience of the glory of God that we could possibly imagine. Let's get ready for a great awakening. Let's get ready for revival. And as God pours out his glory, we get to become even more unified and the people in our world get to see a witness of Jesus who is the king of glory. Let's let him come in. Go for the glory of God. Go for it. Not only will your life not be the same, the world around us won't be the same either. You won't be the same if you'll receive Jesus Christ into your heart right now. He wants to show you at least a glimpse of his glory. Maybe it's not something that's super dramatic, but it will be a life-changing experience for you. And I want to lead you in a prayer right now to say yes to the presence of Jesus in your life, to salvation, to real life, to eternal life. Would you pray this with me? Just say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love. I believe Jesus died. He was raised from the dead and he is Lord. Forgive me of my sins. Be the Lord of my life. Help me to live for you. Thank you for receiving me as your child. I'm yours, God, now and forever. The glory of God just came into your life. It did. And God's going to take you from glory to glory. Now, we want to help you with that journey, and we're going to have somebody come in just a second and share a little bit with you about some next steps that you can take. But I want to thank all of you for being with us today. And I want to encourage you, go for the glory of God. 
God has more for you, and you're not going to regret this pursuit. God bless you. We'll see you next time we're together. Thanks for listening to the Victory Church Podcast. If this message inspired you, feel free to share it with your friends, family, and social media. And make sure to subscribe to hear future messages from Victory Church. If you'd like to support the mission of Victory, please visit getvictory.net slash give. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day.